Welcome to this American Society of Hematology podcast for the hematologist Ash News and Reports. In this installment, contributing editor Dr. Saad Usmani has a conversation with Dr. Nikhil Munshi. They discuss the latest approvals of chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies to treat multiple myeloma. Dr. Saad Usmani is a clinical professor of medicine, division chief of plasma cell disorder, and director of clinical research in hematologic malignancies at Levine Cancer Institute Atrium Health. For all relevant conflicts of interest disclosures, please read the podcast notes. Dr. Nikhil Munshi is Director of Basic and Correlative Science in the Jerome Lipper Multiple Myeloma Center and Kraft Family Chair at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. He is Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. He has no conflicts of interest to disclose. Dr. Munshi is also an Associate Editor for Blood Advances. Please note, ASH does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, or opinions, and disclaims any representation, warranty, or guarantee as to the same. Thank you for listening and enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Saad Usmani. I'm the Chief of Plasma Cell Disorders Program at the Levine Cancer Institute. And I'm joined here by my wonderful colleague, Dr. Nikhil Munshi, who needs no introduction. You know, recently just received the Bob Kyle Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Myeloma Working Group, International Myeloma Foundation, you know, has done so many similar contributions in our field. And more recently, he's contributed to the first BCMA-directed CAR T-cell therapy that got its approval in February of 2021 in the United States. And we just learned earlier this week that pretty soon it will also get approved in Europe. So, you know, it's a pleasure to have Dr. Munshi with us. And I would love to get his take on several things. I'll start with the first question, Dr. Munshi, about your opinion about BCM as a target and why is it so lucrative in myeloma? Thank you, Saad. It's really a pleasure being here on this podcast and also discuss about CAR T-cell, which has had such a phenomenal success in the last few years. So BCMA has become our central target for two very clear reasons. One is limited expression. It's expressed on normal plasma cell and its counterpart malignant myeloma cells or malignant plasma cells. Maybe a little less late phase B cells, but the rest of the hematopoietic cells do not express BCMA. And rest of the body has, if any, very minimal expression in certain areas, but overall expression is limited to this B lineage late stage lymphoid cells. And that makes the off-target toxicity to be much less. The second important part of BCMA is that it's a member of the TNF receptor superfamily and as being expressed on myeloma cells through its two ligands, April and BAF, there are signaling pathways activated when they bind to BCMA, mainly driven by ARC and MAC pathway, etc., which are important for growth and survival of myeloma cells. So BCMA is required for sustenance of myeloma cell and absence of BCMA may not be a good thing. And so myeloma cells do not usually and easily have BCMA negative tumors. And that means that it will be present most of the time and could remain a good target for a long period of time. And that makes BCMA unique and an important target in myeloma. That's very important. I think, you know, when the initial CD19 CAR-T data was coming out and we were hearing about NCI and the UPEN groups looking at BCMA with CAR-Ts in advanced relapse refractory patients, we were all very excited. But then, you know, we saw activity, but there was a lot of toxicity associated with those two constructs. But with IDASEL, with the KARMA data, we see something different. So, you know, can you share with us what are the differences between that early experience? experience versus IDASEL data that you published that led to this every approval? 
Yeah, so as we always know, the earlier studies paved the way for more detailed and deeper responses and deeper investigation that happens. The earlier results from NCI and UPenn set the stage for what IDSL reports are. Those were smaller studies, dose finding studies. Utilization of the co-stimulatory molecule from CD28 was changing to 41BB, which is in the IDSL product. Also, CD3 Zeta, there are nuances of how much linker you use in between. All of this have now in the IDA cell been, I wouldn't say perfected, but has been improved to provide one, deeper response, larger response, and number two, decrease to an extent some of the, what you would call tonic stimulatory signals, et cetera. So then you do not see frequency of CRS unrelated to anti-tumor effect, et cetera. So there is not a tremendous difference between the products developed at UPenn and or at NCI. In fact, part of the NCI product has gone into developing IDSL as they were licensed with it. The point being that IDSL used the best of NCI product knowledge from UPenn studies and the expanded study now confirms the extent of responses and the length of response that we observe. No, thank you, Dr. Munshi. And then, you know, with IDSL, with the Karma study that was published, one of the questions that kept on coming up during ASH presentations was, do you see good responses and durability in high-risk cytogenetics or extramedullary myeloma? Can you share some of that experience? Absolutely. So IDSL was the first study to have this larger exposure. And the KARMA-1 study, which is the pivotal study that led to approval, had a very simple, straightforward, what I would call almost every other study is using similar format, is that patient selection is three or greater line of treatment, exposure to the three standard drug, proteasome inhibitor, immunomodulated drug, and anti-CD38 antibody, and also resistance to the last line of treatment. And these patients first undergo leukophoresis. It takes around four to five weeks to produce the CAR T cell. And in the intervening period, patients can have what you would call bridging therapy. And the reason for bridging therapy is that these patients have such an aggressive myeloma that to wait for four weeks, their myeloma really blasts off. So we had to give something in the middle. When the cells are ready, patients get lymphodepletion, fluorarabin and cytoxin for three days. CAR is infused, and then we wait for the response. And so in KARMA study, 128 patients have been treated. And if you look at the patient characteristic, it's a tip late, late stage disease. Six years from diagnosis on a median six different lines of treatment received. Almost all 94% patient had one transplant and 94% were refractory to anti-CD38 antibody, 84% refractory to three drugs. So very advanced patient population. And in these patients, overall response observed was 73%. At the target dose of 450 million cells, the response was 81%. And so very, very high response rate in this patient population. And if we look at the depth of response, 40% patients get complete remission. And of those who get complete remission, 70 plus percent had MRD negativity that we could measure it. And so really deep responses were observed in this study. If we look at the second component, the duration of response, which is, I think, critically important, overall PFS is 8.8 months. If you look at the overall survival, it's now over 20 months in the most recent ESCO presentation. And so the overall survival numbers are becoming quite impressive. What is important to know that the target dose of 450 million cells, the PFS is a little over 12 months. And patients who get CR, the PFS is over 20 months. And so getting a good response, deep response, does allow a longer responses in this patient population. And in one of the studies that was performed, as you know, Saad, comparing with the real-world evidence, similar type of patients, and this is not a randomized study, but similar type of patients, multiple relapse, et cetera, multiple line of treatment, 
the expected outcome in this type of patient without IDSL has been a PFS in the range of three to four months, overall survival less than nine months, and overall response between 20 and 30%. So when we compare with those patient population, IDSL provides amazingly good responses. And this is what the CAR T cells are known to do now from your and my experience. No, certainly. And if we look at, you know, the other approvals for the same patient population, and obviously we cannot compare those data sets head to head, but very similar kind of patient populations, IDSL certainly, you know, stands head and shoulders above them because of, you know, the efficacy that we see. What is your comment around management of CRS and ICANs, you know, as they can be seen commonly with CAR T cell therapy? That's a very important question. Yes, it is exceedingly effective, but we also have to keep in mind the toxicity. And there are two main toxicity, I would say three main toxicity. Cytokine release syndrome, the neurotoxicity. And I think what we as an oncologist don't usually concern is the cytopenia. But in this particular case, I would say that is an important toxicity to keep in mind. So cytokine release syndrome happens in almost everybody. It is almost connected with response. So at the target dose, 94% patients get CRS except majority of them grade one or two. Only four to five percent has grade three or greater CRS. So that's one. Very importantly, it happens the median time to CRS for this IDA cell is one day. So it happens very quickly. And the median duration of CRS is four to five days. And so a quick CRS, lower grade compared to what we observed in lymphoma and other setting. And the treatment has now over time been standardized with, I think, all of us getting better experience and also learning from our colleagues in lymphoma. Use of tocilizumab has become early and that does decrease the higher grade of CRS now. And also in occasional patients, use of corticosteroid. So in IDSL at the target dose, 67% patient got tocilizumab and around 22% patient required steroids. This is for CRS. If you look for neurotoxicity, ICANS, which is really important and one would say feared toxicity because it can lead to long-term complications, et cetera. In myeloma compared to lymphoma, the neurotoxicity is quite infrequent. Totally 18% patient had neurotoxicity. Majority of them, grade one or two, only 3% patient had grade three neurotoxicity. And again, treatment is with tocilizumab and corticosteroid as in when needed, depending upon if it's given to control CRS, then neuro toxicity all the way around. The cytopenia I stressed is because, yes, we are, as an oncologist know how to take care of low blood counts. We deal with it every day, except at least in this study, these patients had six previous treatments. So their bone marrow is not the best. And in that setting, they not only get cytopenia, but they are persistent. And in proportion of patients, between 15 to 20% of the patient, it continues for a long period of time. Beyond two months, they may not have recovered it. And I think sometimes they are dependent on platelet transfusion or something. So I think cytopenias are something we have to keep in mind. And the main reason for cytopenia, as you know, is the lymphodepletion. Fludarabine and cytoxan, plodifludarabine is the most offending drug here. I think there may be a component of CAR-related cytopenia as well, but mainly fludarabine. And I think patients do require a long follow-up. But these are the main three toxicities. Otherwise, once patient is out of CRS, once is out of neurotoxicity-related issues, I think patient has a very normal quality of life. And interestingly, Sadi would agree that in these studies, good or bad, they get one infusion and then there is nothing done. And so patient has a truly treatment-free period. And I think patients love it, don't you think? 
No, I agree. I think that's been the most common comment from patients. The fact that, you know, as they have been enrolled on these CAR-T studies, leading up to that, they were receiving therapy continuously. And now you give them a one treatment. And after that, you're just following them and they can have very good quality of life once they've recovered from the side effects. So I agree with you. I think that's such an important component of CAR-T cell therapy. On that note, I have a very practical question for you or advice you can give to our community colleagues, knowing that, you know, the FDA current approval came for four or more prior lines of treatment, PI, IMID, and anti-C38 exposure and refractiveness to last line of treatment. So when should the community physicians be reaching out to the transplant cellular therapy center in the course of, you know, a journey of myeloma patient? I think that's a very important and practical, as you said, question. Because of the approval, we are stuck with having four prior lines of treatment before referring patients. I would have personally liked a little bit earlier than that. It will be good tolerance, great quality of life, et cetera. But we have to follow what FDA has done, and that's what the insurance company would follow. Keeping that in mind, I think one thing important to keep in mind also is that patients should have progressive myeloma, but do not need the traditional measurable disease criteria. So non-secretary patient, patient with clear evidence of progression, but not necessarily reaching certain level of M protein are okay to be included here. I think very importantly, age is not an important criteria. Like transplant with less than 70 is important. Here, I think we have treated patients closer to 80 and, and they've done well. I would suggest that over 75, we should make a little bit of individual decision and patients should be able to follow the requirements that they do come. They do continue their follow-up diligently with their CAR-T physicians before going back to their oncologists. Now, there are two things. One is the cardiac situation. Unlike transplant, where we require certain injection fraction here, I think just simply well-managed, compensated cardiac comorbidities are good. So we don't need to have fixed number of things. And so it's more than a little bit open than transplant. And the renal function, patients with creatinine clearance of at least 30 or more should definitely be considered if other things are appropriate. I think we will have to dose modify conditioning or lymphodepletion, but otherwise they should be considered. And I think we are all trying to see even less than 30 patients can be considered or not. So I think that's an important component. Patients should not be on chronic immunosuppressant. That's not good for CAR. So I think we have to keep in mind. So bottom line, your question, I think if the patient is being considered for CAR T cell, I think sooner patient is referred, not wait till the fourth line patient has been to the fourth line is what I would suggest. Because once say patient comes to you and I for CAR T, it still takes four to six weeks or longer to prepare the patient, get the cells, get it ready. And so if we are able to get things in place sooner, so as soon as patient is eligible, because he is now fourth line in the insurance approval, et cetera, we can move on with our CAR-T procedures. I think you raise a very important point about the vein-to-vein time. And that brings me to my next question for you. How is IDASEL being developed further? Are there trials in earlier lines of setting and newly diagnosed setting? And then, you know, what do you think is the future of CAR-T cell development in myeloma? Yeah, so I think similar to other CAR-T product, it is now being developed at all various different lines of treatment, earlier lines of treatment, because that's where we would expect to not only get good responses, but also we would hope to get these deep responses even more at earlier stage with the hope of what I would either call it a long-term disease-free survival or a potential cure. So keeping that in mind, I think there are studies, for example, Karma 3 is happening in relapse refractory three or four parallels of therapy. Then there is CARMA-4, which is a newly diagnosed multiple myeloma. There is a similar construct, which is the B 
BB2217, where CAR T cells are being produced in presence of a specific PI3 kinase inhibitor. So it has a more memory type phenotype. Also, there is ongoing consideration as a comparison with transplant, sort of see which one of the two provides better response or better outcomes. And also there is ongoing thoughts about considering maintenance treatments. A lot of things are being considered using IDA cells next generation to see how we can utilize early, how we can utilize effectively, and how can we sustain the deep responses we are getting even at the sixth line, hopefully even at an earlier line. So that's one question. The other question you asked was, what is being done for future development, right? In general for CAR-T, that's what your crux yes, was? I, yeah, so I was alluding to, you know, the possibility of allogenic CAR-T cells or even CAR-NK cells, because we were seeing some early data being presented at international meetings. So, you know, I would welcome your thoughts. Yeah, so I think one of the deficiency of current CAR is that four to five weeks of production time. And our patients, at least at the rest stage, do not have sometimes that time. So what can one do? And so to make it really off the shelf is the allogeneic car, where certain immune parameters are deleted using CRISPR type of technologies so that patients don't get graft versus hostesis, but then make those allogeneic cells into cars that can be given to patients just out of the bottle. No waiting time. And I think early results are encouraging that those kind of allogenic cards do provide anti-myeloma response. There's a lot more work to do, a lot more studies to be done to see how deep the responses are, how high durable responses are. And even though there is no graft versus host, it says the host do develop some anti-immune responses against the car. And so we have to see how can we use a different car from a different allogenic source. But that's one is allogenic car. The second also, there's ongoing thought of how can the car be made quicker? And there's called fast car approaches where car T cells can be made not in five or five weeks, but less than a week. And I think those are also going to be contributing. Those could be autologous, so less disadvantage of allogeneic. And I think the, the ongoing studies in that area are also very encouraging and probably important once we define the cell type and the characteristics. All right. I have one last question for you. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the CAR T cell therapies, IDA cells specifically, but then the practical aspects, you know, safety management issues as well. But we also have several BCMA directed by specifics that are in development that we've heard about. So what are your thoughts about those data and how do the by specifics fit into the schema as CAR T's are making their way into earlier lines of setting? Yeah, as you know, this is our ongoing debate where you can take the stand that bispecifics are my standard and I might take its CAR-T. I think we are still learning to see where we use the both, either of them. CAR-T is a little bit more difficult to produce. Bispecifics are like any other drug, comes out of a bottle, you can give it right away. So much easier to administer and produce. They do cause CRS, but low level. However, if you look at the current data, bispecific gives around 60-65% response rate, while CAR-T uniformly, you can take from any source, gives around 90, close to 85-90% response rate, in some cases even more. So I think there is some differences in responsiveness. The other thing we need to know is bispecifics utilizes patient's T-cell within the patient. So it requires some immune function in my mind. And I'm happy there's a 60% response rate, but I think we are depending upon certain host immune competence and also host environment not to be interfering. While CAR-T we produce outside, so we can just give it without worrying about those aspects. 
after saying all this pluses and minuses and we can really debate it i do feel both will have a space patient with aggressive clear relapse probably will benefit most from carti versus patient with some more indolent approaches might benefit because they have time and there is no urgency to try bites in those patients also there is a concept that maybe we can give carti first and then give bites as a maintenance periodically to keep those t cells from doing what they do i think it's matter of time when we figure out the sequence the consequence how often bcm and negative myeloma is going to come up etc and that will decide which space these two different but in some ways overlapping mechanism of action treatments will be placed in our algorithm of treatment Well, thank you so much, Dr. Munshi, for joining us and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Thank you so much. It's been pleasure talking with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Hematology. For more information, visit www.hematology.org. Make sure to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed and follow us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Join us in August for another podcast from the hematologist Ash News and Reports. Music